The Mystery File Collective is intended for mature audiences. The following content may contain material that some people find triggering. If you feel disturbed by tales of murder, mystery, or myth, if you believe that they could traumatize you, we implore you to use your discretion before listening. city of York is a city with a dark past. Its history is rife with tales of guts, gore, torture, and ghosts. The International Ghost Research Foundation declared York as the most haunted city in Europe. Due to its blood-stained history, and over 500 hauntings within the ancient city walls. This is a story that explores the dark, murderous secret of one of England's most ancient cities. A story that prizes open the rumor that a dark, murderous cult is responsible for a series of bizarre hangings, not just in York, but across the north of England. Some of the stories you are about to hear, and the deaths you will encounter, just cannot be explained. So, let us begin, and make sure you are in a quiet place where you cannot be disturbed, for you are about to discover the ancient English city of York's darkest secret. For years, many have tried desperately to bury the foul case of the castle hangings. We ask again that you listen, as always, at your own discretion for the truth you are about to uncover may haunt you in more ways than one. It is believed a murderous cult may be hiding in plain sight in the north of England, and to this day we do not know what their true intentions are or why throughout many decades. They desired the murder of the innocents that have been slain. And whilst we begin our story in the city of York, it is not in York alone that these killings have taken place. But far and wide, beyond Yorkshire itself, for these killings have spread across the whole of the north of England. However, it is in the heart of York itself where these killings were first discovered. And here today, I shall share with you the tales of the most traumatizing cases to have ever been recorded. You have been warned. Turn back now, or suffer the risk of attracting your own death. For even I put myself in grave danger for daring to even mention such suffering. The chances are, if you have been to York and heard the haunting sound of a strange church bell ringing at an ungodly hour of the morning, you may have heard one such murder. 
for every dead body that has been discovered hanging by the neck. A haunting church bell could reportedly be heard ringing only a few hours prior to their discovery. These hanging corpses have mostly been discovered close to medieval architecture within the main city of York and other castles and churches within the north of England. Possibly the most well-documented incident is the case of Peter White that happened in 1934. Just one of many of the castle hangings around York. It is an interesting case as it was witnessed by many of the city folk who lived inside the houses, shops and bars that stand side by side down one of Britain's most famous streets, known as the Shambles. It was around midnight on a dark, cold, rainy Yorkshire night when a young man by the name of Peter White went running wildly through the streets his terrifying screams pleaded for help, awakening everybody within earshot. Witness accounts claim to see a young man in a black top hat, a black trench coat and suit, running frantically through the shambles, tripping over barrels and bins, falling into the gutter and rushing to his feet, screaming, This isn't real! God, Lord, help me, anybody! Death comes for me! This awoke many a household who climbed from their beds, stumbling to their rain-lashed bedroom windows, cursing the fool that dared disturb their sleep. However, when those he had awoken from their slumber saw the expression of pure, undeniable terror in the screaming man's face, they knew something truly dark and disturbing was taking place. Many claimed to have witnessed the dark shadow chasing after the terrified man. Others say it was a cloaked figure dressed all in black. Others argue it was a hooded man with a sickle in his hands. And some even say it was a ghost. Yet nobody caught a view of the dark shape that loomed over York Shambles that night. For it rained hard, the moon was cloaked in cloud, and the lights were dim. Many claim they saw nothing chasing the man, that they only saw Peter White, alone, running like an escaped lunatic or a deranged city drunk. What actually happened to Peter White after he vanished down a dark alley within the shambles, nobody can truly say. Yet an hour after his disappearance, a strange, unfamiliar church bell rang out above the lashing rain and howling wind. Many say that they have never heard that church bell before. Its eerie ring awoke many in the city. Most thought the strange sounding bell to be an effect of the wind for the tolling bell was unfamiliar to them, and there was a ruthless storm that very night. However, when morning broke and the sun rose over York, the screams around the city walls could be heard for miles around. One witness remembers scrambling to Micklegate Bar as that was where most of the crowd seemed to gather. He rushed to the scene to witness, just below the arches entering the city walls, the corpse of Peter White, 
hanging by the neck. A look of terror still visible upon his bloodied face. A face filled with cuts and deep lacerations. Some believe the man's wounds came from the sickle of the cloaked monster they saw chasing the man through the shambles the previous night. And now here he was, hanging from the castle walls, his eyes bulging out of his skull, his right eye appearing to have burst open with blood still pouring from his pupil. The rope around his neck cut so tight into his flesh, the blood spilled from where the rope dug deep. His head lolled forward, as if looking down upon the crowd that gathered, face bloodied upon skin purple from suffocation. And his shoes lay twenty feet below his body on the ground, as if neatly placed. Police soon arrived to clean up the crime scene, dispersing the crowds that scattered like rats. This all happened before the local press could get a hold of the situation, and Peter's death was later to be announced as suicide. The police had taken some witness statements of the dead man being chased by a cloaked maniac with a sharpened sickle. But there were no fingerprints nor any other physical evidence to be found upon Peter's body. Nothing to suggest foul play. Nothing to suggest that this was a murder. Other than some bizarre witness statements. The verdict was suicide. And yet the rumors persisted. The witnesses who saw him screaming through the shambles the night of his death knew that something truly evil was afoot that night, and for whatever reason it had preyed upon Peter White. Some say that the shambles is haunted, that vengeful ghosts or other such spirits roam that street seeking out those who still hold on to life. To this day, people suggest it was an evil spirit, filled with jealousy or envy that killed Peter White that night. Others believe the man was having a psychotic episode, suffering a horrifying vision that drove him to madness, and then suicide. But psychotic episodes are never shared. Other people would not be able to witness a horrifying vision taking place only in the man's mind. And yet, people saw a dark figure chasing him through the streets of York on that stormy Yorkshire night. So what is the truth? Did people really see a cloaked figure in black chasing Peter White prior to his gruesome death? Or was it just the passing shadows from above the wind and rain, the shadow of unsettled crows seen flying high above? Some say people thought they saw a figure to justify Peter's fright, the very real palpable terror they witnessed in the running man's eyes. The mind can play tricks as it tries to make sense of things, especially if you have just been awoken from your sleep. Those that believe in the occult have told us that some ghosts hate the living, are jealous of our life and would rather see us dead which for them explains the other castle hanging sites outside of York. This is easy for others to argue against, however, 
For these killings, the hooded figures often seen before death, seem to be exclusive around the north of England only, and nothing like this has ever been documented outside of this specific area of the United Kingdom. Some suggest the castle wall hangings to be the work of a serial killer. But if this is the case, then this serial killer is an odd one, as the murderer only kills once in a blue moon, for there has not been another murder like it since the year 1967. Thirty-three years after the death of Peter White, Mary Winston stumbled through the shambles, drunk, after being booted from a nearby bar that was closing for the night, one that she refused to exit. Mary was thrown into the street, and soon she found herself lost and alone. It didn't take long for the locals to be awoken by her rowdy drunkenness. They climbed to their windows once again to complain about her rudeness. Unlike Peter White, it appeared as though she was simply being foolish. There was no hooded, cloaked, sickle-carrying figure chasing her through the city. She was not running for her life. Rather, Mary kept laughing and yelling about some strange dungeon keeper she had met whilst on her vacation in York. The lady was from Manchester and was visiting York with a group of old friends from her college days. Mary appeared to be alone. Nobody else was seen roaming the dark streets but her, at a little after one in the morning. She laughed hysterically, quoting the line her so-called dungeon keeper had told her. Stay clear of the shambles, my love. Ghosts and ghouls come out past midnight. Vengeful spirits seek the living wishing death upon them. Leave now before it's too late. Her drunken shouting was met with disdain as the locals screamed from their windows, telling her to shut up, cursing her drunkenness. People were trying to sleep. And Mary would scream back, louder than before drunkenly taunting them, saying the Yorkshire folk were loud mouths and idiots. I'll fucking kill you, one man shouted, and at the time nobody thought he meant it. But she did die that night, and perhaps it was he that was to kill her. Nobody truly knows, for this voice was never connected to anyone in particular. Another, seemingly young voice called out to her, asking, Who's this dungeon keeper? Before the voice laughed, mockingly. Mary chuckled a reply. He wore a black hood, dressed like an undertaker. He looked like a ripe buffoon, like the rest of you Yorkshire idiots. With this, the drunken woman suddenly fell on her backside and rolled over onto her hands and knees, while the voice that interacted with her laughed at her foolishness and slammed the window shut. It was around this time that Mary settled down, quietening her drunken ranting as she wandered down the same dark alley that Peter White was last seen entering before his death in 1933.
just like with Peter White. A haunting church bell rang, an unfamiliar tolling bell around the time of three in the morning. And as morning broke and the sun rose over the ancient English city of York, a woman walked her dog past Clifford Tower. However, out of the corner of her eye, a strange human figure had caught her attention. She stopped herself and fixed her gaze upon the castle. When she took a closer look, a scream, ungodly, escaped her mouth, for the sight that stood before her was that of Mary Winston, hung by the neck a few feet above the tower's entrance. The rope hung down long from the top of the tower, and Mary's corpse still swung from where she was hung, her feet dangling twenty feet above the ground below. Just like with the hanging corpse of Peter White. Her shoes had also been placed beneath her, neatly placed. Was this the calling card of the killer? Mary's head was bent sharply to one side. Blood dripped from her mouth like a broken tap. The dog walker imagined the neck snap ending her screams, and with this thought, she puked up her breakfast and ran from the area in a fit of terror, screaming for help. Other locals soon stopped and stared, and then the city of York was once again a riot of gasps, cries and screaming as crowds gathered around to view the hanging corpse. Like the death of Peter White, Mary's death was considered to be another suicide by authorities. There is not a lot known about Mary's movements immediately before her demise. All we know is that she was drunk, and some of the locals mocked her as she stumbled through the shambles, rambling about a dungeon keeper in a drunken haze. The identity of the so-called dungeon keeper that she was wailing incoherently about was identified to be an actor who had a sideline as a tour guide. He would take tourists, like Mary and her friends, on a ghost walk through the shambles. One of his spooky trails was the mysterious death of Peter White and the strange-sounding church bell that could be heard across the city proclaiming his death. The ghost walker went by the identity of a dungeon keeper named Grey Odin. Part of his act involved speaking in Old English, pretending to be wary of ghosts and spirits like the supernatural was a real thing. Though his words may have been an act, the legends of which he spoke ring true. For many people of York believe that some ghosts linger upon the shambles, envious of the living that roam among them. They wish to keep the streets to themselves at night, when nobody alive should wander. Some locals think it's best not to travel these streets at night. Both Peter and Mary were from outside of the city. Neither of them lived in York or were indigenous to Yorkshire itself. They were both outsiders from completely different parts of the country. Peter White came to York on business from London, while Mary was on a reunion weekend with friends from university and sadly became separated from her group. There are many cases documented of other poor souls found hanging around the city of York.
their corpses hanging upon old medieval architecture. In 1952, an unidentifiable body was found hanging, hidden inside York Minster, whereabouts we cannot truly say. But we do know the corpse was found hanging in an area off-limits, where nobody usually goes. A locked room so forgotten about, it hadn't been opened for many years. His body was only found as the stench from his corpse reached visitors. The flies and maggots swarmed around the corpse inside the locked room, for which nobody had a key. Once opened, they discovered a half-devoured body, so old its bones poked out of its pale blue skin. The body may have been there for over a year or more. The last known castle hanging case in York was documented in 1982, inside the Micklegate Bar, rather than outside for everyone to see. If the castle hangings were the work of an unsolved serial killer, many believe this one to be the killer's final murder, before vanishing entirely. The body was left, as if leaving a final goodbye, to those who knew of his first murder outside of Middlegate. The hanging man was elderly, believed to be in his mid to late seventies, and just like with all the other hung corpses found within York, the last victim's shoes lay on the ground below him, deliberately placed, quite neatly. The man's fingertips had been scorched, so no skin remained and no fingerprints could be gathered. Some of his teeth had been pulled, confusing dental records, and nobody came forward to declare anyone missing. Some speculate that the body found was the killer himself, as his age seemed appropriate for the Peter White hanging, and nobody has any record of this last victim of York despite the fact that his face was still recognisable upon discovery. The elderly gentleman wore very ordinary clothes, nothing strange or ritualistic, like the black cloak or hood that people described all the way back in 1934. Was this elderly man a serial killer that killed Peter White, Mary Winston, and perhaps others, hanging them by the neck and placing their shoes neatly below the bodies, we'll never know. However, I am afraid to say that the castle hanging case does not end in York. As mentioned before, there have been other murders similar to the castle hangings of York far outside the city. There seems to be a dark history behind these murders, dating as far back as 1551. Although 1934 was the first hanging murder recorded in modern history. Yet, there is a disturbing past that relates to this tale that I have not told you yet. Some locals believe that these killings relate to one of the darkest tragedies in human history. The return of the Black Death in 1550. There were three plagues that haunted York in this time. The Bubonic Plague, which devoured villagers with relentless swellings and flu-like symptoms, such as vomiting and high fevers so deadly that those who caught the virus 
only had a 70% survival rate. The pneumonic plague, which destroys the lungs, causing intense chest pains, relentless coughing and shortness of breath within the victims. Those affected only had a 90% survival rate. Most horrifying of all was the septicemic plague. This virus attacked blood cells, causing victims to leak blood out of every orifice of their body, and it was 100% fatal. There was no cure at the time. Now you may wonder what the Black Plague has to do with the castle hanging deaths from 1944 onwards. Let me explain. By 1551, so many had suffered agonizing death so horrid from this plague that many decided to end their own lives early. The shambles was riddled with plague victims, dying on the streets, crying out for a swift death, with next to no aid or cures. The city was hell, and soon many men, women, and even children were driven to complete madness and desperation. Some believed that if they killed themselves, it would stop the spread of the plague. This is why so many chose suicide before falling ill to this horrible illness, or when symptoms first materialized. It was a common sight in York to see bodies hanging from buildings all over the city. These hanging suicides were a common sight among the dead that cried within the streets begging for mercy. And it is also believed that a certain group gathered around the city, ending those who cried out for death the loudest, helping them in their suicide. They wore black cloaks, hoods, and strange masks made of wood which depicted different animals. Many of these men risked their lives in this endeavor with the possibility of infection, and it is believed that many of the so-called ghosts that haunt the shambles are indeed black plague victims. If the castle hangings of York are the work of a serial killer, it is believed that the castle hangings killer was inspired by this dark past reminding those of the darkest days in York's history. Perhaps in his mind, this was a way of celebrating the past, a sadistic tradition that would seem to have reached far out, way beyond the walls of the city and into broader northern England. Now, it is physically impossible for all of these killings to be done by the same one man, as they are so far apart in range from 1933 to the most recent hanging we know of in 2018. If this was the work of a serial killer, one man, he must have been over a hundred years old, and we seriously doubt a mortal man of this age is capable of hoisting a body up to hang, never mind controlling the victim before the murder, unless he has some aid. And with this in mind, if these hangings are cases of murder, not suicide, it must be presumed that there is more than one castle hanging killer still out there waiting for lost wanderers to fall into their trap. And of course, as mentioned before, there are other horrifying incidents outside of the city of York. In 1991, the villages of Huttonley Hole were rudely awakened one dark morning at 4 a.m. A haunting church bell tolled loudly, ringing slowly and repeatedly, waking up everyone inside the village. This was soon followed by screams 
far louder than church bells ring. If village folk were not awoken by the eerie chimes of the church bell, the screams and cries sent the village into a frenzy as they all gathered around the church to see their local police chief, Sean Pegg, hanging from the bell tower. Reportedly, the bell was still rocking back and forth, quite on its own, crushing his body under its weight. Blood splattered from the lifeless corpse with every ring, and nobody, not even his fellow police officers, dared to go up until the rocking had stopped. Living in a small village means everybody knows each other. So seeing someone they all loved reduced to a horrifying display of broken bone and hanging guts was a death far too grim for most to bear. This spectacle of death was far more horrific in nature than the York hanging. Upon investigation, the body was found to be covered in fingerprints and yet void of any DNA evidence, which to this day is a mystery that will never be understood. And when police investigated the fingerprints on the corpse, there was no record that matched anyone on file. This was not the first murder to happen within this village, however. In fact, three months prior to Sean's death, a young woman named Stacy Quinn had been hanged above the village schoolhouse. The rope hung loosely from the cross that stood upon its roof. And much like the previous murders, the ghostly church bells rang awakening everybody to this horrifying display at 2 a.m. in the morning. Her mother, Barbara Quinn, had grieved hard, convinced her daughter's death was murder, not suicide. And she knew Chief Inspector Sean Pegg. He promised that he would investigate the circumstances behind Stacy's death. He would find out if there was a case of foul play to answer. Sean Pegg had interviewed everyone in the village with a connection to Stacy Quinn. He was determined to uncover the truth for her mother. But this became very complicated, with echoes of the York Castle hangings. Many said that they saw a strange cloaked figure hanging around the schoolhouse at night, days before Stacy's murder. Although some said this mysterious stranger was big in build, the size of a bodybuilder, a strong man, while others said that they were small and feminine, like a woman. With this evidence, he came to the conclusion that if there was a case of foul play, if Stacy had been murdered, this black-cloaked figure may have been stalking her for some time. And, judging on the description, there was at least two people involved, a man and a woman. It is felt by Barbara Quinn that Sean Pegg was close to revealing the identity of the mysterious black-cloaked figures that stalked her daughter in the hours before her death. She believes 
that Chief Inspector Sean Pegg was close to unearthing the secret of the murderous cult that has been plaguing Northern Britain. And she believes that he became a target for them and that he too was being watched. When he got too close to discovering the truth behind this secret sect, they hung him too. She believes there is a murderous cult who are responsible for the hangings, and the cult is centuries old and responsible for the death of her daughter, Sean Pegg, and the castle hangings of York throughout the ages. She believes high-ranking officials, including police officers, may be part of this evil cult. Now, people close to Barbara believe the grief of her daughter's death may have had an impact on Barbara's mental health. And the police also dismiss the idea that an ancient murderous cult is responsible for the death of Stacy Quinn and Chief Inspector Sean Pegg. However, Barbara Quinn pointed us in the direction of another case involving a strange, lonely church, centuries old within the high peaks of the Lake District. There are many old abandoned churches that sit derelict around the north of England, so it was hard for Barbara to pinpoint. However, she claims that the church is made of a black stone. It's old and abandoned, and in a state of disrepair. It rests in the remote wilderness of northern England, where not many lost souls venture. Here, strange cultists in black cloaks and robes gather. Tourists will only find it if they are lost, or stray from their path. And those that have been this unfortunate have been met with truly horrifying encounters, finding themselves wandering through the nearby woodlands where the church is hidden to witness the sight of hooded, dark-cloaked strangers with strange wooden animal masks staring at them in the distance. Many have fled at this sight upon witnessing such dread, and many others have not been so lucky. Those unfortunate few who have dared to enter the Blackstone Church always return with terrifying tales to tell. In 1994, one woman by the name of Jessica Manson became lost whilst hiking alone. Upon discovering this ancient site, she became curious. She decided to enter the church. She struggled to open the big, heavy doors that seemed twice her weight. She entered the church. Once inside, she was greeted with a dark interior. Cobwebs hung from the doorway and spiders crawled away from her in fright. She brushed the dust from herself and took a small stroll through the church, admiring the old architecture and stained glass windows. She was enjoying herself until she heard a small creak to her left. She turned to witness the sight of a dark, hooded man with a wooden tiger mask, holding a bloody sickle in his hand. He did not speak a word. Jessica screamed and ran to the doors, exiting the church and on the way out, she swore she saw more dark figures in the darker corners of the church and 
figures watching her from up above. She fled for her life, screaming for help, the cloaked man still pursuing. She eventually ran out of breath and hid within the forest. The hooded figure, she claims, gave up the hunt. She slowly, carefully, made her way back to the remote B&B, where the landlord swore that he had never heard of such a church. But he warned her never to go back to that place. He claimed that there had been stories of such a church, but he has never been able to find it. And this church, as far as the stories go, is many centuries old, and people were once sacrificed there, and the place is now haunted. The so-called dark figures that had watched her from above, he claimed, were the ghosts of hung victims, whose lives were snatched by an evil sect that lurked within the church at that time. Another story from the Lonesome Church comes from a man named Peter Richardson who dared venture here in the winter of 2001. He was a photographer working on a project. He stumbled across this abandoned church while driving late one night through the Lake District and he found this place so haunting, so atmospheric, and yet so beautiful, he couldn't resist stopping to take a few shots. He parked his car, jumping out, and with his camera in hand, he stepped towards the church. He breathed in the fresh forest air that surrounded him, the sound of birds chirping told him that everything was at peace. He felt no danger. It was peaceful. He would take his time. He approached the church, admiring the black stone, how medieval everything looked. The church felt like it had been left completely untouched for hundreds of years. The entire place felt richly atmospheric, almost creepy. Little did he know he was being watched. He busied himself, taking photos, blissfully unaware of the impending doom that awaited him. He moved on from the churchyard and decided to enter the church itself. It was dark. He wandered to the back of the church, enjoying the gothic creepiness that surrounded him. It was cold inside. He could barely see ten feet in front of him due to the dark. Outside, the wind began to howl. He took a photograph, and examining it, he noted that it was too dark. With the flash now on, he pointed the lens to the ceiling. The flash of the camera lit up the church, and in that moment, he could see corpses hanging from the ceiling above him. His blood ran cold. He quickly told himself that it was just his imagination playing tricks on him. So he aimed the camera lens again, and he took a shot. And sure enough, the hanging corpses glowered at him in a terrifying flash of light. He ran from the church, every instinct telling him to get out of there immediately. And so he did. 
breathlessly. Back at his car, he reviewed the last two photographs, eager to see the hanging corpses. But they weren't there. All he had captured was an old church roof in need of repair. No corpses glowering at him from the darkness. He chuckled to himself. His mind was playing tricks, getting carried away with the spooky, eerie church. He checked the rest of the photographs, and to his amazement, for the most part, they were exactly how he had pictured them, and he couldn't be more thrilled with the results. But then, on one of those photographs, he noticed something that made his blood run cold. In one of the pictures, taken of the outside of the church, three hooded, black-cloaked figures could be seen watching him. On each of their faces was a wooden mask, various different animals. He was frozen in fear as a cold chill rose upon the back of his neck, the feeling of suddenly being watched too much to take. He studied his photograph closely. He didn't remember seeing anything like this. Then something caught his eye. A dark shape rolled past the church in front of him. So he strained to take a better look. Terror engulfed him. For what he saw, he would never forget. As three men or women, dressed entirely in black, hoods over their heads with creepy wooden masks of a duck, a lion and a fish, walked towards him slowly, chanting an evil song which he could never, ever forget. They swayed from left to right, dancing while holding a giant rope, which ended with a slipknot. He fumbled for his keys to put into the ignition, only to discover that it had been tampered with while he was in the church. Now he knew for sure that he was in certain danger as the song came closer and the cultists brandished sickles and hooks stained brown with old blood. He ran from his car, leaving the photographs and his camera behind, and into the dark forest he ran. The strange black figures, the cultists, soon followed after him, breaking out into a full-on sprint. It was within the forest that hundreds of dead bodies hung high above the trees. The wind was howling so fiercely that the hung corpses appeared to still be moving, and he would swear to God he could hear one's muffled screams under the sack that covered the body's face as it kicked and scratched at its neck, trying to escape. Peter tripped, falling heavily after witnessing this horror, and fell into a deep hole in the ground. Luckily, he was able to climb to the surface before the thundering footsteps of the cultists behind him could catch up with their sharp blades. He ran for what felt like miles, even hours, occasionally hiding from what he believed was chasing him, crouching behind trees and large bushes, then fleeing again. Peter can't remember exactly how he got to safety, only that he just ran and ran until he reached a safe road, before finally finding a roadside pub which he entered, screaming. Everybody inside stopped and stared at him. He was full of cuts and dirt. He was shaking with exhaustion. He told the owners of the pub about the Blackstone Church and what he had witnessed. But the owners didn't know of such a church anywhere in the area.
The owners of the pub called the police immediately, investigating Peter's claims. They too searched for the mysterious church. However, it did not matter how hard they tried. They could not find the hung bodies in the forest, or even the church itself. Peter went with them, to show them the way, show them the church, and to recover his car. But the roads were different. There are no roads that lead to where he remembered being, almost as if the road never existed. His car was never recovered and he never did find the Blackstone Church again. Peter Richardson narrowly avoided a charge and a heavy fine for wasting police time, and his story was disregarded as the ravings of a lunatic. As for his life moving forward, Peter Richardson was never the same again. This, he felt, was a close call with death, from something supernatural, and his night terrors, to this day, are endless. His mental health is now in a permanent, fragile state. He was the last man that we know of, to discover this mysterious church. But he believes that others have found the church before him and maybe after, and those poor souls may have met their death. He was lucky to escape, to survive, where he is convinced others have lost their life hung from trees with the rest of the corpses. Peter assures us that there is a murderous cult at work in the north of England. He believes whatever it is that they are doing, it is invoking the powers of supernatural forces, powers that don't belong in this world. He claims it's possible that the masked, hooded figures may not even be human, but demons from another realm, creatures from a supernatural world. The church that he found, that he claims he photographed, could never be found again, neither by the police on the evening of the incident, or by himself as he has since returned with the company of many friends. The road he claims that he was on simply doesn't exist. It is a mystery. His abandoned car, along with his camera, have never been recovered. However, whoever this cult, these killers may be, he believes they are very much real and highly dangerous. So do not be fooled if you see several men or women cloaked entirely in dark robes or hoods lurking around medieval buildings within the north of England. Do not dismiss them as performance artists or street theatre actors, or ghost tour guides. Whether the hooded figures be human or spirits of the undead, just be wary, young traveller, for not everything is as it seems in the northern British countryside. Peter Richardson, amongst many others, now believe in a supernatural realm that he had never contemplated before. He believes 
that evil lurks all around us at all times, day and night, under dark castles, churches, and alleyways, and many are inclined to agree. Peter Richardson's final message is beware. You'll never know what horrors await until it's too late. You have been warned, warned of this mysterious case of the castle hangings of York and of Britain's most mysterious yet deadly cults to ever haunt the northern shore.